We're here with Carl Cullen. What's up, pal? What's up, man? How are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming over, neighbor. Uh, yeah, it's it's great to be here. I mean, I know I probably wasn't top of the list, but I think everyone's still uh, catching up from Geneva. So yeah, no, I... you had to call like the JVB. <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy someone wants to hear what I have to say. Yeah, no, dude. I, I, for those of you guys who don't you don't know, I mean, you know, Carl's been a you know, he'll give his whole full story, but Carl's been a vintage watch dealer for for years. Uh, he he's one of the few guys that, you know, when I got into the industry was like really, you know, kind enough to um, you know, help me learn and, and kind of show me the ropes. That was like eight years ago. Um, Carl's history in the industry goes far, you know, it goes much further than that. Um, I bought two of my personal watches from Carl, this watch and the Cartier Carré. I still have that. Oh, no, that one's awesome. It's an incredible watch. If I'm spending my personal money, you know, with Carl, that, you know, that's a pretty cool endorsement, you know, dealer to dealer. But um, anyway, good to have you on, man. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, tell me, I guess, let's start off with, you know, tell us kind of your background. Obviously, it goes it goes with your family, right? And that's kind of where it all started. Don't yeah, so the it started basically, I was born, um, and uh, was around watches and jewelry sort of my whole life, as long as I can remember. I was never forced into it. Um, it was always something I found interesting. You know, from the youngest age, I remember going to the stores, whether my mom or father was working or going to the corporate office and hanging out early on. I liked playing with like the copy machine and paper clips, like any kid does. Like that's the coolest stuff. But being around it and just I was always curious and interested. I really started out loving gemstones and um, diamonds and was into that. And that sort of got me into the store early on and at a young age. And when I was around watches more, you know, I became more immersed in it and interested in it. You know, going back, the first, first watch I ever really remember having was an old Swatch. Um, we also had one of those six foot giant Swatches on the wall in our, uh, playroom that didn't last very long because soccer balls to it uh take it out pretty quick but um as i was working retail i really got into watches got into um rolex i really liked tag at an early age as well i was actually very fortunate to be gifted a rolex date just um reference 16200 when i graduated high school silver rhodium roman dial which to me is still like of the last 30 years, one of the cleanest watches they made. I can't tell you how many I sold just wearing that. You know, I was largely exposed to modern watches, but I was fortunate to take in repairs. We had a Rolex service center. So like I remember seeing a Rolex GMT Master, not a GMT Master II, but a GMT Master. And I remember I was like, what is this? You know, I didn't even think two. So something had to proceeded and I was like oh there's older stuff this is sort of interesting and then I remember finding a huge bin of uh, trade-in watches that we when I say we the company had that had been traded in a big thing years ago was someone want, would want a new watch you'd trade in an old watch you know it was worth x there was something called a spec sheet you used and it told you for a GMT master 1675 if it's in excellent condition if it's in very good if it's in good you pay this so you would say oh you know the spec sheet says the 1675 is worth 500 dollars." <laughs> christian here's 500 dollars for your old 70s or late 60s gmt master here's a gmt master 2 
you know, this is $3,500, so it's going to cost you $3,000 for a new watch. So I found a bin of all this stuff that was broken. Some was working, you know, crystals were busted, this and that. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. These aren't working. You know, this one's sort of cool. It's got the red and blue, um, you know, like, what do we do to get it working? So like I bought a few, had them serviced and repaired and got them running. Then I bought some books, you know, started going to 47th Street in New York and doing stuff to educate myself and uh, used it to sort of start and get going on my own um, with a sort of hobby and then what became my business. So it was cool because I had some skin in the game and was buying and selling. Granted, I was very fortunate to be in that position, but it's not like this stuff was like, you know, I was buying it at the time and it was worth 10 or 20 times what I was paying, but I was able to buy and sort of learn by doing and repairing, take the stuff apart and figure out that way and with books and stuff called forums, which uh, was fun where, you know, you'd make a username, you'd ask questions. There were people who were willing and able and helpful to provide insight and education. So I uh, give a lot of credit to that as well for my education. But um, yeah, just timing. Timing's everything. I was really lucky and fortunate to get going when I did. You know, timing in terms of selling certain things and not selling others. You know, I have a gold GMT Master Concord 1675 that I bought out of a scrap bin. It wasn't working. The band was in pieces and going back to like vintage Rolex form in the late 2000s, I had people who were trying to buy it or would offer me seven or $8,000. And I was like, that's a lot of money. And I was like, no, this is cool. And I hung on to that. That was my first vintage watch. And what's that watch worth now? I, I don't know. People ask me that a lot. And I'm like, I don't really know because I won't sell it. Like if you handed me a check for $100,000 I and I could use the money, I'd say, no, that's like how I'm here. But so it's it's sort of learning along the way and just connections, people you meet either by chance or sometimes you have to make things happen, which I know you know, you're big at connecting with people, but it's sort of how you create your own path and make your own luck and being in the right place at the right time. And that's how we're here. What was the mood in Geneva? Yeah. Yeah, like people weren't all that excited about the releases themselves. Yeah. You know, I thought that the GMT was very cool. I thought that fucking emoji thing was bizarre. Like, what was that? I heard so many people, they're like, I can't believe the brand would do this and that. And it's like, yeah, I don't know, for 99.9% .9 of people, like, it's not even relevant and they'll never have an opportunity to buy it and own it. Or ever like, see it. Right. And I'm just sort of like, they want to have fun. Like, our yeah. man does it, other people, like, yeah. Well, Rolex used to, you know, do more like kind of oddball stuff. Yeah. You know, so it is kind of in line. The no day, no date thing is odd. Right. You, is. you know, but no, I wasn't offended by it. Like, no, but people are, I can't believe it. The the arrogance, you know, Crown can't do that. So-and-so would be rolling over in their grave. And it's like, I relax. I know. But yeah. that's, that's yeah. the problem right now with all these people. And like you were saying about Geneva, it's like everyone and their grandmothers, they're offering their opinion. And yeah. They've been doing this for like two or three years or like, 
you know, they're talking like they're experts offering their opinion. Yeah. It's, it's sort of funny. Yeah. And it's not just in launches, like it's in all different spaces. Like the influencer who's fairly new to the market has a disproportionate amount of influence on like, or is a disproportionate like listenership. So it's weird. And they're not even necessarily making money on it, but they have like a large say and they don't know that much. It's weird, right? I mean. Yeah. It's, it's like the instant celebrity almost where it's like sort of a pissing contest yeah. in a way, but it's like, yeah, they have influence, but sort of why? Yeah. It's not just in like influencing. It's also in retail. Yeah. I mean, like point of sales and stuff. I assume you're talking about. Yeah. Was it like they're trained to talk about the newest watches, but if they see something like 10 years old, different movement or whatever, it's like they're lost. Like they're it's lost. not real. Yeah. Yeah. And well, even with Rolex Service Center, like I just had a huge problem uh, with with a Rolex Service Center, uh, you know, rejecting, um, rejecting a, they rejected a watch because it had, they called it, um, not flex, but something under the dial, like basically dust, basically. Okay. And I was like, wait, so the client thought that the dial was unoriginal because they were they were rejecting the service. And I was like, no, no, no the dial's the dial's good, you know. Connect me with your rep here. I need to understand yeah. that, you know. And they were just like, no, the watch, you know, the watch needs a service, and we're rejecting it because it's, you know, there's fragment or whatever in the in the movement. And I was like, what do you mean when you say dust? Like, what, right, what right. do you mean? Like, is there is it dried oil that has it? And they were just like, uh, well, it needs a service. Like, but that's what he sent it in for. They sent him with a bill with for twenty one thousand dollars for a service on a on a on a eighteen oh three eight because they wanted to replace the bracelet as well. It had too much stretch. Oh my goodness. I mean, uh, it's like you hear horror stories and everyone talks about, you know, oh, they've taken apart the vintage GMTs, the Submariners, this and that, which like, to be honest, 10 plus years in go, no one cared. Like right. it didn't matter. Um, I've had some personal experience. It's funny where I've taken some stone dials or rare vignettes and, and you know, the, the person who's at the counter, I don't want to call him a clerk, but you know, they bring the product back, back out and they're like, well, we need to contact Geneva because we've only, in our catalog, we only have this turquoise dial um, for this lady's watch with stones at six and nine, and this has no stones, so we don't know if it's real or not. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's absolutely real, right? right. You don't have any literature here? Right. Well, but they, that's a problem. Right. A they, they don't have the literature and knowledge. And, you know, from what I've heard about the service at Rolex, it's becoming more like Dreamline where more it's like assembly line. So there's not like a expert who can do A to Z, you know. Right. There's a person who takes the movement out of the case and this and that. So I think it's changing a lot. But like they had to check with, quote unquote, the head technician in New York yeah. or Pennsylvania to verify it. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, we, we, we did a few days later. Leave it. We'll check. We found out it's real. And I'm like, okay, great. I knew it was real. Like, I'm not comfortable having someone service it if they've never seen this. Right. I, I just feel like, you know, the idea of questioning the authenticity of it because they hadn't seen it, like, well, where's your catalog? Like, right, like, right. What are you referencing this against? Your personal experience? It's there. Because if it's your personal experience, then it's like, well, this is a rare watch. I mean, right. I'm not saying it's a common watch. I'm, yeah. yeah, so it's it's sort of a slippery slope. And I think it will get interesting, too, with this certified pre-owned thing, which I think is never really going to get off the ground and take off. But 
I don't know, but it's just like Rolex is not really doing much other than offering them the program. Right? Right. So then the onus is on the retail store and their most senior person to know what's what and buy it and service it or the watchmaker to say this is authentic or inauthentic. Right. So it's like, I don't know. I think it sort of opens a Pandora's box and like there are very knowledgeable people out there. But unfortunately, I don't think the people with the most knowledge are in these points of sale are the ones buying the products. So. Well, and, that, and the same rings true in vintage, right? Like a lot of dealers have popped up, not in the last two years, but that as well, but in the last five, eight years, right? That's kind of the, yeah. that's the big explosion. And there's been a lot of people to pop up and kind of be experts overnight, you know? And, and again, listen, I popped up eight years ago, but I just always stayed on the very approachable end uh, so yeah, I was a yeah. I'm a, if you want to use the word expert, which is a nonsense word to use, but like yeah, I know my date just and Omega Seamasters and constellations really well. You know, like it's yeah. There's something to be said for that. I mean, like the date just, whether it's you know the early references or getting into the 15 caliber or the 30 caliber. Like there were so many different variations Absolutely. and nuances because Rolex wasn't a consolidated company, right? So you had three plus you know, dial manufacturers, different things with imports, exports, yep. with bracelets and stuff. So like for tax reasons. Yeah. So that's like a pretty wide range of knowledge you have to have there to be perfectly honest. And that's, that's where I started. And then the, you know, the Seamasters and things like that, like there's always stuff you discover, like it's cool. A hundred, but like for someone who's been in it for a short period of time to immediately discredit it, that's a really dangerous game, I think. I agree. I mean, you have people that have popped up, you know, overnight that you know, embellish their expertise, but it's in everything. It's not just in watches. It's just what an odd culture that like, that because no one will admit that their knowledge is finite, you also cannot admit the, it's like a perpetuating yeah. problem, you know? It's like, well, the other guy won't admit that he's not perfect, so I can't admit that either. Right. I'm an asshole, you know? It's, yeah. it's dangerous, though. It's like the story of the fish, right? It just, What's the story? No, yeah, just a beginning oh, there, yeah. and it's like, you know, by the end of the day, it's like someone with three years experience is head of watches at Sotheby's or something, and you're like, what? And I'm not calling anyone out, no, I don't know, no, but no, it's no, just no. like- and that really speaks to, I think, the segmentation and where this market is right now. It's like sort of in a weird place, I think. Like, yeah. Very, very weird. Yeah.